But I, I want to uh, jump into God's word with you uh, this morning. And so if you have a, a Bible, you can open that up to the Gospel of Luke. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 10. And we're going to uh, read that in just a few minutes. Uh, as always, if uh, you want to use your phone app, that's fine. And the verses will be on the screen uh, behind me for you to follow along uh, as well. But the text that we are going to be studying this morning... Uh, is a pretty well-known parable that Jesus tells. It's uh, uh, referred to uh, the parable of the good Samaritan. And the parable is found in the Gospel of Luke. And if you remember, uh, the Gospels, what they are, they are a eyewitness account of the life of Jesus. But here's what you need to understand about the Gospels is the Gospels, there, there are four of them, and they're not identical. Right? There, there are four different perspectives, four different accounts, four different experiences uh, of people as they watched the life of Jesus and recorded the things that he said. And so the, the, the parable of the Good Samaritan is only found in the Gospel of Luke. And Luke places this parable uh, right after Jesus says this, all right, so I'm going to read verse 21, Luke 10, verse 21, says this, in the same hour, Jesus rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things, these things, the gospel, the, the way of God's kingdom, everything that Jesus is teaching, you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father. Lost my place again. Yes, Father. For such was your gracious will. So the way of Jesus and his kingdom, here's what Jesus is saying, is his way is gonna be difficult for the wise and understanding to get, to comprehend, to live out, to agree with. And his ways are gonna make way more sense to those with a childlike faith. So that's what we're gonna talk about this morning. Jesus tells the parable of the Good Samaritan right after this. It's almost as if he's giving an example of something that the wise and understanding is just simply not going to get or to agree with. But those with childlike faith will. And when Jesus refers to the wise and understanding, he's referring to the, the religious elite, the, the, the religious scholars, the leaders of the day, the kind of people who have so much knowledge of the Bible and they can kind of go around the Bible at will and tell you all different kinds of things about it. It's almost as if now they can use the Bible to their own advantage and manipulate the words of the Bible to be able to live the way that they want to live. This is the wise and understanding that Jesus is referring to. And so he tells this parable, and here's an example of what childlike faith looks like. So let's, let's read our text, Luke 10, starting in verse 25. It says, and behold, a, a lawyer stood up to put Jesus to the test, saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And the lawyer answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and 
your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and and you will live. But he, this lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? All right, so let's just stop right there for, for just a second. All right, so we have a member of the Wise and Understanding Club coming to Jesus and, and wanting to, to test him. Now, this is a lawyer. Now, you have to understand in this context, uh, this is a Jewish lawyer. He's, a, he's an expert on Jewish law, not really a, a secular lawyer. And so he's an expert on what the first five books of the Bible says. And we're told in verse 25 that this lawyer wants to test Jesus. And it's probably because Jesus has been teaching things about the kingdom of God and about the gospel that he doesn't agree with or it is rubbing him the wrong way. And as a Jewish lawyer, he wants to test Jesus and try to show where Jesus might be wrong. Because what Jesus is saying might be a threat to the way he lives his life and his conscience. And so the lawyer tests Jesus by asking him, hey, what must one do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus replies how he always replies to questions like these with his own question. Well, you're the expert. You're the lawyer. What do you say? And so the lawyer answers Jesus with a textbook Jewish answer. He recites the two greatest commandments. You know, love the Lord your God with all your heart and mind and soul and strength. and Love your neighbor as yourself. The Bible says that all of God's commands, all of his law is summarized in these two commands. And so Jesus affirms his answer. It's a good answer. You're technically correct. Do this and you will live. But something didn't settle well with the lawyer. In verse 29, we read that the lawyer felt the need to justify himself. Jesus had not made any sort of accusation towards him, so why did he feel this way? Well, I guess the the lawyer felt the need to parse terms in order to ease some sort of guilt upon his conscience, right? It's It's a classic move by the wise and understanding and good defense lawyers. Right? Let's debate words. Let's debate definitions. Let's bring in outlier scenarios. Maybe debate culture or politics or whatever as a way of ensuring that the lifestyle of the wise and understanding is not challenged by such commands from Scripture. See, the, the lawyer wanted to have a conversation about the definition of this word neighbor. Uh, We need to drill down into what that means because obviously, depending on the definition of this word neighbor, this command to love your neighbor varies greatly. And so Jesus answers the lawyer's question by telling the parable of the good Samaritan. And so remember, a a parable is just a, a fictional story designed to drive home a point. And so in Jesus Uh, teaching right here, this parable is designed to drive home the point on who is our neighbor. And so we're going to look at Jesus' answer together this morning because God has placed our church in a specific place, in a specific town, and we all have specific neighbors that we are called to love. And so the answer to this question matters a lot to us. 
You know, if you've been with us over the last two weeks, we have been in a short sermon series called Your Joy Is My Joy. And this is a sermon series about what God is calling us to do as a church as we enter our third year of ministry. We are going to turn two years old in just a, a few weeks. And we're praying that God would give each and every one of us a your joy is my joy attitude. Uh, we get that phrase from 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 3, where Paul talks about how what motivated, motivated him to serve the churches in the way that he did was that he really believed that his joy was found in the joy of the people he was serving. So last week we talked about how as a family God has called us to, to go deeper into the gospel with one another and to care well for one another. That, that we need to have a your joy is my joy attitude in the way that we love one another. And this morning what I want to talk about is what it means to have a their joy is our joy attitude as a church when it comes to our neighbors. The vision of our church is to be a church where all people can find joy in Jesus. And that includes all of our neighbors. And so I want to dig into this parable that Jesus tells and allow ourselves to be challenged. Not seeking to justify ourselves like this lawyer was doing. But sitting underneath the word of God. Because Jesus is going to take this command and he's going to amp it up to 10 for us on what it means to actually live it out. And so let me give you a heads up. Here's where I wanna go this morning. Uh, I wanna study this parable with you. And then what I wanna do is I wanna talk about what is our primary strategy here at Grace Hill Church when it comes to reaching and loving our neighbors. What our primary strategy is to outreach to our community as a church. And then I wanna tell you about our secondary strategy. And I want us to understand why we have a primary and a secondary, why one strategy must take precedence over the other. So that's what we're going to do this morning. But first, let's dig in to the parable. So back to the text, Luke 10, starting in verse 30. Jesus replied to this question of who is my neighbor? A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave, him, gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will pay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And the lawyer said, or the one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Now in this parable, Jesus gives his lawyer more than he was asking for. Not only does Jesus give us a definition of 
who our neighbor is, but he also answers how we are to love our neighbor. And so let's, let's unpack the answer. Who is our neighbor according to Jesus? Well, you have to understand, Jesus gives a radical answer here. I want to help us all understand the scenario that he paints here. We have a man who is traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. So it's implied that this man is a Jew. And this road from Jerusalem to Jericho, it was a a, a well-traveled road, but it had many parts that were in the, the country and through ridges and rocks and mountains and all of that stuff. So there are lots of places where robbers could come and mug you if you were traveling alone. And so this man's beaten so badly, the text says he is half dead. Now a priest, fellow Jew, comes along traveling on the road. And so this priest is a religious leader. And he does not help this man. He rather distances himself. He gets to the other side of the road and goes around him. Now, we don't know why the priest doesn't stop. It's possible he was fearful of the robbers himself and he was in a hurry. It's possible he had other things to do and and this would be too much of an inconvenience for him to stop and help this man, so he kept going. The most likely reason was because the priest wanted to avoid being ceremonially unclean. See, the Old Testament law says that if you come in contact with a deceased person, you would be ceremonially unclean and unable to partake in temple worship for a period of time. And and that wouldn't be good for a priest. And so since this man was half dead, maybe the priest just didn't want to take the risk of touching someone who was not alive. Now, the next person comes along, verse 32, and that's a Levite. Now, the Levites are the priestly tribe of Israel, so he too would have been just as concerned about being ceremonially unclean. So if you think about it, just just stop for a second. Remember who Jesus is talking to. This is a Jewish lawyer. And the lawyer is a master at finding loopholes so that he can be justified in living the way that he wants to live. This is what he does. And Jesus knows this. And it's exactly why he's constructing this parable in the way that he is doing, excuse me, doing it. He cites the ceremonial and cleanliness laws in, in Leviticus. He knows that, that citing those would be something this Jewish lawyer would do. It'd be one of the first thing he goes to as a way of getting out of this command to love a neighbor or to do something that might be inconvenient or stopping on the side of the road and bring harm to himself or or risk himself being uh, mugged by the robbers as well. He would probably cite something like this in the book of Leviticus and say, well, I don't want to be unclean. Therefore, it would not be good for me, maybe even sinful for me to stop and, and touch this man. Jesus knows that the lawyers got these arguments teed up. The lawyer, this priest, and this Levite clearly have too much wisdom and understanding to be bothered by their neighbor or their neighbor's need, but not the Samaritan. Jesus decides that the person in this story that we are called to emulate is going to be a Samaritan. Jesus is trying to be controversial. You have to understand this. We talked about the Samaritans last week, if you were here, and we talked about how Jews and and Samaritans did not interact with one another. They were basically ethnic, religious, and cultural enemies. 
This would be like me telling the parable this way. A conservative Christian was mugged and left dead on the side of the road. Another conservative Christian saw him and kept walking. Another conservative Christian saw him and kept walking. But a transgendered atheist saw him, quickly took him to the hospital, paid his bills, and made sure that he made a full recovery. And you're like, whoa, Alan, way to insert the culture war into this one. But that's what Jesus did. It's exactly what he did. He's trying to be controversial, and here's his point. This is what he's trying to drive home, that whatever worldly labels or distinctions or identities that we give each other, whether those are good labels or bad labels or neutral, it could be ethnicity or culture or gender or religion or immigration status, your sexual orientation, age, social class, economic class, whatever it is, what Jesus is saying is that that has absolutely nothing to do with who your neighbor is. This is what he's saying. And I don't know for sure, but my guess is that that wise and understanding Jewish lawyer with all of his knowledge of the scriptures was ready to make an argument with plenty of citations that his true neighbor consisted only of those within the nation of Israel. And before he could make that point, Jesus blew it right out of the water. We are commanded by God to love our neighbor and Jesus makes the radical point that there is no limit to who your neighbor is. And that can be difficult for us because just like this lawyer And this priest and this Levite, all of our wisdom and understanding can give us pause on who deserves our love and our attention and who doesn't. All of our wisdom and understanding helps us to to weigh the risks and the costs and the inconvenience of loving our neighbor. We read earlier how Jesus said the the way of his kingdom is for those who are like little children. And as a daddy of a four and five-year-old, I can understand why Jesus says this. My, My kids have not been hardened by this world to assume things about the strangers that they see and then to determine that it's best to to distance, to to not engage with them. No, they, they see people and they just see a potential friend, not an inconvenience, not a threat. A neighbor. Not too long ago, I was in Home Depot with uh, my daughter, Christy, and we were walking down the aisle, and this older lady was walking down the aisle towards us, and she had this big pink fur coat on. And uh, Christy looks at her and goes, you are so pretty. <laughs> just so loud. And this woman just lit up. It's like, oh, my gosh, you made my day, right? In the eyes of my daughter, everyone is the same. Everyone can be loved. Everyone can join her in her happy world. And how do we see our neighbors? How do we see our next door neighbors, our, our coworkers, or the people we encounter all day long? Do we see them like the wise and understanding with skepticism and fear, or maybe as an inconvenience, or do we see them like a child? It's just another person that we can love. And Jesus doesn't give us a radical answer just to this question of who our neighbor is. He also gives us a pretty radical answer on how to love them. 
how we are to love our neighbor, right? Let, let me just real fast give you three ways the good Samaritan loved his neighbor, right? The first thing we see is that the good Samaritan loved his neighbor by redirecting his full attention to his neighbor. Obviously, the, the Samaritan had somewhere he wanted to be. And obviously, he probably wanted to be there quickly because the Jericho Road is notorious for being dangerous, And so in order for the Samaritan to love this man suffering on the side of the road, he had to change his plans. He had to redirect his full attention from wherever he had to be to now caring for this man. He had to open, he had to be open to his life, his calendar and his plans. Look at this, being disrupted spontaneously. And he also spontaneously needed to be willing to go along with it on the spot. Man, that's tough in our culture. I mean, we're busy. We don't like interruption. We plan everything out. Our calendars are full. There's not very much white space. We don't live lives that have the margin where we can spontaneously direct our attention to something else and to be able to engage here and care for someone. To do that, there will be costs, there will be missed appointments. We'll be late to things. We'll have to cancel plans we are looking forward to. And that leads to the second way the Good Samaritan loved his neighbor is that he sacrificially met his needs. I mean, how many ways do we see the Samaritan sacrifice? We already mentioned the spontaneous disruption. Right, he allows him to ride on his donkey and he walks. He pours his own oil and wine on his wounds. He also paid two days worth of wages to care for him and was willing to pay more. That's not cheap, right? This wasn't throwing some extra money to the panhandler. This wasn't grabbing the Starbucks for your coworker or helping your neighbor shovel the driveway, as good as all of that is. No, this was expensive, time-consuming care. And it wasn't just one and done. Because the third way that Good Samaritan loved his neighbor was by continuing the relationship beyond the first encounter. At the end of our text, we see the Samaritan make plans to return. A relationship and commitment had formed. This wasn't just duty and religion. This was true compassion for a complete stranger. So this is how Jesus says to love your neighbor. Give them your full attention. Sacrificially meet their needs and continue the relationship. And so let's just think about our neighbors right here in the the town of Herndon. What would it look like to love them in this way? And, And I'm talking from the poorest of our neighbors to the riches of our neighbors, from the undocumented immigrants of our town to, to those here who detest their existence. Uh, the, the students and staff of this school to our next door neighbors, to our coworkers that we see every single day. What would it look like to give them undivided, unrushed attention? To sacrificially meet their needs. To listen to them, to understand their needs, and to be willing to start an ongoing relationship with them where we could share about the hope that we have found in Jesus. What we're talking about this morning is loving people, get this, in the same way that Jesus has loved us. Loving people with gospel love. 
See, Jesus, even while we were sinning against him, and we were alienated from God's kingdom, and we were poor, and we were headed for judgment, he rescued us. He came to us. He gave us his attention. He graciously and mercifully came to us and bound up our wounds, even when we were sinning against him. See, Jesus sacrificed himself to meet our need, namely forgiveness of sins, being brought back into the kingdom of God. He allowed his own body to be beaten and tortured and executed and buried so that our sin could not lead to judgment. And Jesus brings us into his family, his body, and, and assures us we, he will never leave us. In fact, he promises us an eternal relationship with him. This is gospel love. The way Jesus illustrated loving our neighbor in the parable of the Good Samaritan is the way Jesus has loved each and every one of us. We are beneficiaries of this. There is no salvation without someone loving us in this way. And it is an otherworldly, radical love. And God calls us to love our neighbors in this way the same way that he loved us in Christ. So we've learned who our neighbor is and how we are to love them as we looked at this parable. And so here's, here's what I wanna do. I wanna just kind of do a hard pivot in the sermon because I said I was going to talk to you about our primary strategy as a church to love and reach our neighbors and our secondary strategy, our primary outreach strategy and our secondary outreach strategy. And I wanna explain why one must take precedence over the other. Our primary strategy to reach and love our neighbors as a church here in Herndon and Northern Virginia, our primary outreach strategy is you and me in our daily lives loving our neighbors with gospel love. It's what we just read in the parable of the Good Samaritan. It's you and me living that out on a daily basis. Our primary outreach strategy is not events. It's not organized community service projects. It's not Sunday morning worship services like this. Our primary outreach strategy is the fact that each and every one of us will exit those doors in just a few minutes and go about into the community for a week, living our lives, taking our kids to school, working our jobs, going about life. But we are not ordinary people doing that, bumping into our neighbors. We are people that have been loved with a gospel love by the creator of the universe and have been given the very purpose and calling to love our neighbors in the same way. See, this is actually directly connected to what our primary strategy is for what we're doing right now, Sunday morning. Our primary goal on Sunday morning is not evangelism. It's not to pack this place with unbelievers and this be the context that we primarily preach the gospel to people. Now, don't get me wrong. We would love to do that. But our primary goal for Sunday morning worship is to gather the church, those who follow Jesus, to be encouraged by one another, to be built up in the word of God. Because after we're done gathering together, we're going to send you out those doors to go love your neighbors for a week. 
And so again, don't get me wrong, we'd love for unbelievers to be here. Invite your friends to come. Y'all know me, we're gonna preach about the cross every single Sunday because believers need to hear that just as much as unbelievers. So we want that. But what we're trying to do on Sundays is to build you up, to send you out, to go do this for the rest of your week. Our church gathers to be built up and scatters to go love this town. And so our secondary outreach strategy to love and reach our neighbors is to pool our resources together and plan events and do projects and outreaches on a larger scale in, in order to serve our community well. That's, that's a really good thing to do. So of course we wanna do that. And we wanna be doing those things often, but here is where we need to be careful we need to make sure that we don't allow planned and organized outreach activities of our church take precedence over everyday radical loving our neighbors with the gospel love. And it's so easy to let that happen. It's so easy to allow the church, the organization, to pre-plan ways to love our neighbors so that we can schedule it, we can plan it, we can pencil it in, even give to it, and make it so that it doesn't disrupt our lives. And oftentimes, I want you to, I want you to hear this, oftentimes when this becomes the primary outreach strategy of a church, it's because people come up with too many wise and understanding reasons as to why they can't love their neighbors in the way Jesus is talking about. And look at this, in the planned Outreach activities of the church become the very way people justify themselves for not loving their neighbors as Jesus commands. The church has planned something for me to do. I have it in my calendar. That's how I'm gonna go love my neighbor. I don't need to worry about that the rest of our lives. And that's not how Jesus has called us to live our lives. But if you think about it, if we are faithful to our primary outreach strategy, being all of us loving our neighbors as Jesus has loved us, that is going to supercharge the big outreach things that we plan to do together as a church. But I wanna be clear that being successful at outreach as a church is not measured by the events that we do. It is measured by how many of us are faithful to love our neighbors in our daily lives. But this year, God has provided us with several opportunities to love and serve our neighbors together as a church that I would love to share with you. And one of the things that's become very clear to us is that God is really directing us to, to have opportunities to, to care for, to love, and to be involved in our, our middle school and high school students here in Herndon. It's where we're finding the greatest need in our town. And we have just been given some incredible opportunities. Uh, Herndon Middle School this year has invited our church to take part in their mentorship program. They want people from our church to get paired with students here so we can mentor them. Oh, that's an amazing opportunity. And it's gonna take sacrifice because the hours for that are like from two to three in the afternoon. But man, I hope that our church responds to this because they are asking us, we need 
adults to come and mentor students. Do you know how many students are in this school who don't have parents at home? Or they just have one parent at home and that parent's working five jobs just so that they can eat. And they've got nobody. And the school is asking us to step in and meet this need. And so you're gonna be hearing from us about how opportunities to sign up and what that's gonna look like. And I hope that you'll pray about that. This school has asked us to develop an after-school program for them because they have so many kids have nowhere to go when school's out. Mom or dad's not home. And so they need more and more after-school programs. They have said to us, you develop whatever you want and you can do it. And so if, if that excites you, if you're like, man, I would love to plan an after-school activity here at Hernan Middle and be a part of that, let us know and there'll be ways for you to, to show your interest. But that's a huge need that we can meet as a school. We've also developed a good relationship with Young Life. Young Life is a great uh, just ministry uh, all over the country and they have a great ministry here. Um, and uh, we're getting in more involved with wildlife. So wildlife is young life for middle schoolers and they're building a club here and we know the leaders and they need volunteers who want to come and help lead that if you're interested in that. And we also have been involved with Young Lives, which is young life for teen moms. And uh, Laura Kane and Brittany Good help lead that. And they need more and more people to get involved, to provide for these moms, to mentor them as well. And so there are lots of opportunities to get involved. And what I love about all of these opportunities that I just listed is that every single one of them lets you love someone in the way that we were taught this morning in the Good Samaritan, to give someone your full attention. And it's gonna be a sacrifice to, to find the time to do it and to build a continuing relationship with someone where you can love and so be on the lookout as we show you how you can get involved in those opportunities. And we're excited to see that come to fruition this year. But you know, as we close this morning, I just wanna, I wanna challenge you with this. God has, has called us to love our neighbors as Jesus loved us. And we just studied that and saw that to give people our full attention, to sacrifice, to, to enter into a relationship with people. This week, you have no idea when an opportunity is going to come your way to spontaneously love a neighbor in this way. You'll probably actually have several opportunities to love someone this way. So here's what I just want you to think about. What does it look like right now for you to put your yes on the table? before you know what the opportunity is. To say right now, God, I don't know what ways you're calling me to love you and, and, and my neighbors this week, but when that opportunity comes, my answer is yes. Knowing it means risk, knowing it means inconvenience, knowing it means sacrifice. I just want us to spend a moment, close this time out praying and asking God to give us that posture as we go about our week this week. Because I'm gonna tell you what, there is unbelievable joy in dying to yourself to love your neighbors. So let me pray for you, let me pray for me and our church for our week ahead. God,
We, we live in a, in a culture and uh, at a pace, Lord, that is very fast. It's very busy. There's lots on our plate. Many of us have so much we're carrying and good things. We have a job that we work and we have family to take care of and maybe extended family to take care of and school and all kinds of things, Lord, that we are carrying. And, and when we talk about these things, it can be very overwhelming to think about how to fit this into our lives. And, and Lord, it's right there that I pray that you would help us uh, to see our lives um, not as just these blocks of time that we try to fit everything in, um, but that, Lord, we would live our days seeing the people around us seeking to lay our own lives down to love them. And Lord, I believe this week you're gonna give every one of us an opportunity to do that. Maybe it's not an opportunity that we planned or expected. But Lord, I pray in that moment, your spirit would just whisper into our ear, here's a moment for you to say yes. So God, I just pray we would as a church just be people who put our yes on the table and say, God, I don't need to know what you're calling me to do before I say yes to you. Because you're the Lord of my life and I wanna follow you and I wanna do what you've asked me to do and I wanna love people the way you have loved me. So Lord, I just pray, would you give every person in this room an opportunity to do that this week? And God, would you give them unbelievable joy as they do that? And Lord, would loving our neighbors become something that's intoxicating to us? Our world really needs the church to focus on this, loving our neighbors, not big events, not big projects that look good on social media, but just normal every day. The people that we encounter, we just love them the way that you loved us. Help us to do that, God. We ask these things in Christ's name, amen.